for the money, my nigga. Yeah, that's right. It's the Offensive Interference Podcast. You're joining your boy Gene Clemens, the coach. Presented by FootballGamePlan.com. Once again, I'm Gene Clemens. You can find me on any social media platform at Gene Clemens. Um, and I and I'm just happy that y'all are here again today. And and I have some very interesting things to talk about today. We'll talk to um Frank LaRosa. Um from East Bay High School down in Tampa, Florida, talk a little bit about um coaching wages. And there's been two things on my mind today, both having to do with high school football and more specifically, one having to do with that coaching in the state of Florida. Um, first, let me just say that I love coaching. It's something that I've done for years. It's something that I do because I feel that it's a calling. It's something that's my way of giving back. However, it's not lost on me that I've chosen to make a career um, out of football. And so because of that, I would expect that if I'm doing a job as a coach, I would be compensated fairly for the amount of time and effort that I put into that job. I think it's fair to say that anybody in any um, type of field that they love, they would believe the same thing. I'm sure Beyonce loves to sing. I'm sure Jay-Z loves to rap. Neither one of them are doing that for free. And neither one of them are going to do that for anything less than what they feel they are worth. However, in many states, um, but especially in the state of Florida, football coaches are asked to be a coach, a mentor, a teacher, a cop, a father, a college counselor, a development specialist, um, and all for mere pennies on the hour. Um, On May 10th, hip-hop legend turned high school football coach Luther Campbell posted a photo of his coaching stipend on Twitter. It was $1,248. And in part, he said, remember, we coach your kids year-round. So in other words, he's giving you an idea of what the worth of a coach is in the state of Florida. It's been well documented that um, states like Texas and Georgia pay coaches significantly better than Florida does, yet Florida coaches are held to the highest of standards in the country. Um, the average coach in the state of Florida makes a coaching stipend of around $4,500. Assistant coaches don't even make half of that. I have a friend who made more money as a middle school assistant coach in Louisiana than he did as a head track coach in Florida. Just let that sink in for a second. The duties and responsibilities necessary to coach a track team as the head coach in a state where speed kills versus going and the the lack of of anxiousness that comes with being a middle school coach and knowing that hey they just want the kids to have a good time and show some development um this comes with the added pressure of winning in Florida so not only are you being paid pennies on the dollar pennies on the hour excuse me but you're also expected to win and that's why in today's game of football, coaches have to change their, their thought process. And if they want an opportunity to be positive role models in young men's lives, well, they first when they first start coaching, um, they, they think about winning. Everybody does. I know that I thought about winning when I first started coaching. Um, but I also wanted 
to be a positive influence in young men's lives. I wanted to help them navigate the world easier than I did when I was in their shoes. I wanted to show them that the hustle was real and and that football could do something for them that was outside of just getting to the NFL. I wanted them to see football as a tool that they could use to better their situation, to open up doors. I never wanted them to look at playing football as the destination, but merely a tool to get to the destination. But today's society is different, and and there's two things that you must do as a coach today if you ever want to have a chance to do any of the things that I mentioned above. First, you better win. And I didn't say you better be competitive or you better make it look good. No, no, you need to win. And you need to win big if possible. I'm not saying that you have to win state championships, but you darn sure better win uh, district titles and regional um, advancements. Or those schools um, that are winning district titles, they're going to come and steal your players. And I mean, we can try to put a cute name on it. We can say, oh, you know, these kids are leaving for better opportunities. But reality is, is these schools that have not they're out there looking. And if they can find a ready-made kid, a ready-made starter, and add that starter to their, their team, that's going to make them all the more better. So if you don't want to be fired, if you don't want to lose your kids, the one thing you're definitely going to have to do is win. Um, But there's not just that. You also have to start being visible. You got to be visible and you have to show these kids what college is before they get to college. The reality, reality obviously, is that college coaches, they just want to find talent. They don't care about the other stuff. Um, My office was filled with D1 coaches when I was at a school where we were winning and they were still filled when I was at a school where we were losing. So it really didn't make a difference as long as I had talented kids that they could get a hold of, or at least that they had an opportunity to get a hold of. So with that being said, my advice for any young coach wanting to make it to a level where they can get a chance to run their own program, number one, become a presence on social media. Don't just have a social media account and like stuff. Post videos, Post talks, make sure that kids know that you're in tune. Make sure that they see you when you're talking to college coaches. Any opportunity for for a photo with a college coach, you have to take it. Because if you don't, those kids, this is the way they consume their information. If they don't see you with those college coaches, if they don't hear you talking with them, if they don't see you um, hobnobbing or rubbing elbows with them, they're just going to assume that you don't have those connections. That could lead to you losing kids. Number two, you want to always be on the scene. If there's an event going on, whether it's a youth event, whether it's a high school event, if it's a, a camp or a combine, whether you have kids there or not, you want to try to find a way to make yourself visible or present there. You want those kids to know that you're that you're in touch with what's going on, that you know about all of the things that they want to be involved with, that they believe are going to get them recruited. If you can, you want to be involved in it. You want to work those camps and combines and clinics. For years, I did the um the Nike Spark Combine, and I did the Nike Spark Combine for and, and the um 
you know, and the and the camp and the training camps. And you know, I did them for two reasons. Um, back when I was doing them, number one, I got you know some free kicks out of it, shorts and a t and a, and a um, polo, you know, to go in and watch kids run around and be athletic, do something I'm gonna do for free. Now I get a pair of kicks and a, and uh, a polo and some shorts out of it. That's not bad. But for the the other reason is that I wanted my kids to know that I knew about it, and not only did I know about it, but I was intimately involved with it. So that they knew that if they wanted to access something like that, I had the end. Um, third, don't be afraid to gloss about your connections or gloss about your accomplishments. If you have one, whether you were an assistant coach, a head coach, a volunteer coach, if you were on a team that won, let that be known. Celebrate it. If um, you have a kid that has gone on to college and you directly work with them, or maybe, you know what, even if you indirectly work with them, make it known. Because again, these kids want to know, they want to know that you know, and they want to know that you have the ability to get them where they want to be. Trust me, the kids are watching. And if you're in the state of Florida and you're tired of being paid like a field hand, there are other states that would love a coach with the ability to outwork other coaches year-round. So keep doing your thing down there, Florida coaches. I salute y'all. Make sure you're handling your business, and when you're ready to say, you know what, it's great that I coach in Florida, but I want to go somewhere um, where, they, where they respect me, where they love me, your resume will be pristine, and you'll be able to step anywhere in Texas and Louisiana and Georgia and Alabama North Carolina, some of these other states that are paying coaches a lot better. Make sure you do that. Now, today on the podcast, we're going to be joined by um, Frank LaRosa, like I said earlier. Um, he's the head football coach at East Bay High School in Hillsborough High School. He's a guy who, um, in my opinion, he has been able to carve a niche out um, in, in an area where it's definitely an arms race. And he hasn't always had the most talented team. He hasn't always had the most Division One athletes on his team. But if you look at what he does, East Bay has a really great presence on social media. Their strength and conditioning down there is second to none. They really get those kids into the weight room. Um, they have a system. They're, they're a, a, a triple option um, type of team um, who's they've embraced the old school and mixed it with the new school. And, and with that, they've, they've been able to, to have a product that they're able to keep kids and get kids into college. And so I wanted an opportunity to talk with him about what's going on in the climate in Hillsborough County and, and, and philosophies. And, and we had a good old time talking about football and I think you guys will enjoy it. Check it out. And we're here in the Offensive Interference Podcast. Again, I'm Gene Clemens, and I'm joined by East Bay High School head coach Frank LaRosa. Coach, um, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna waste time because I think it's, this is a subject that doesn't get talked about enough. And when it does, people tend to look at it as we should just be grateful as coaches. 
um, for the opportunity without actually thinking about the amount of sacrifice and the amount of, of sweat equity we put into this. And that's, and that's the, the compensation involved in coaching. Um, I, I'll, I'm going to make a statement that I want to give it to you and just kind of let you run with it from there. Um, I've been a head coach. I've been a head coach in at public school in Florida. I've been a head coach at private school in Florida. I've been head coaches um private schools outside of the area. Florida is by far the worst paying state for coaches per capita that I can think of in any of the places that I've either coached or taught or or been associated with football. I know that we don't do this for the money, but what does it mean to you when you know how much you put into a program 365 days of the year versus what your compensation is for that? Well, you, you started off already saying it. Um, it's it's a 12 month 12 month uh, job. Um, you know, teachers teachers are are, are 10 month employees. Um, but coaches, I mean, you know, we'll get a couple of weeks between spring football and before we start our summer um, off. So, so two weeks after spring ball gets out, a week after school gets out, we're we're ramping it back up uh, four four or five days a week uh, before we officially start in in July. There is no off season. I think I think one of the biggest issues is you know, uh, and, and not just not just the pay, but you know, the, the expectations that matches the pay. You know, you've got a hotbed of talent in, in the state of Florida, and you can chop it up by school district or county, and, and, and guys, uh, the pay is different, but it's, it's not much different. Um, so when you're talking about different counties and how coaches' uh, stipends compare, um, you know, some counties pay better than others, but we're not talking anywhere near what, what you can get paid in other states that make you feel less pressure. Um, than uh, than Florida, um, you know Texas, for example, uh, those guys are compensated uh, very nicely. Um, but I do understand the pressure to win in Texas. Um, Florida, though, it, it's it's amazing with the level of talent that this state, you know, just turns over year after year after year. And we're not just talking about you know just now. This is a generational thing. Um, studs have been coming out of the state for literally decades. Um, and for coaches to be compensated the way they do, um, it's, it's a shame because there's so much work that goes into it. Um, you know, and, and, uh, I don't know if that'll change, but uh, I know that, uh, it, it definitely leads to something we've talked about, you know, behind the scenes when we talk about coaching turnovers also. So it's, it's, it's all tangled together in the same web. Um, and that's why there's, uh, there's also so much turnover, I believe. And, and that's a great that's a great point. We look at we look at things like summer workouts, and summer workouts used to be. I know when we were coming through, summer workouts were. Hey, it suggested that you that you're here. It, it'd be great that you're here, but that's not going to necessarily affect you if you're not. It, it, it's come to a point now where. If you're not doing summer workouts, if you're not working out, if you're not, you know, getting yourself better, you almost have no chance of competing come fall because everyone else is taking it so seriously. So when you add in summer, then the fall, um, you know, summer's usually three, four times a week. In the fall, you're six days a week. Um, 
you get a little bit of time off in the winter, but you're already into the recruiting. By the time you get back from winter break, you're into spring, um, seven-on-seven stuff and workouts, and then all of a sudden you're in the spring ball, and all of a sudden you look up, and you're right back in the summertime again. Do you think that this is this is a good thing for youth football in general? As it, as it pertains to, um, the kid and having an opportunity to kind of reset or do you just think this is part of what's expected now of any athlete, regardless of the sport? I, I think that's the expectation or, or becoming yet the, the, the norm. Um, my fear is this. My fear is, you know, we are putting so much pressure on kids to produce so early that I, I, I really think that kids will fall out of love with the game. And, and I, I think that's a shame. Um, you know, it, it, it's, not, it's not just about scholarships. It, it really is about the life lessons you learn and the relationships you build with guys that are so different than you, but you have one goal and you have different kids and different backgrounds and ethnicities and religions and races come together for one goal. I mean, that, that is such an incredible life lesson that they can carry throughout life. And, and I just think that the pressure is so high on them so early. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that we really understand as a society how detrimental that could be for, for us in the long run, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Um, these kids are expected to, I mean, they, you're talking about with Little League, Little League, is is ramping up all the things that they do. I mean, they've got off season leagues now. Um, it's absolutely insane. Um, you know, you, you're seeing you're seeing the death of multi sport athletes, in my opinion, because um, kids find a sport that they're maybe the best at or the most passionate, and there's somewhere for them to go to focus on that sport for 12 months. Um, and I just think that's dangerous. And uh, you know, I, I don't think it. I don't think it adds to the the, the value of, of the student athlete uh, as a whole. Um, that, that would be my you know, my fear. Um, but going on to the strength and conditioning, like you were saying, I mean, if you look at college programs, look at the highest paid coaches on staff. Um, you, you might you got the head coach, your OC, your DC, and then your head strength coach. There's something to be said about how important strength and conditioning is. If those guys are starting to make their pay sets greater than position coaches, and in some cases, some colleges are, are right there on par with an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. I say it all the time. You, you spend more time in the offseason than you do in season. Um, that's why we at East Bay put so much emphasis in our offseason, especially with the, the strength and conditioning, because that's, that's where we spent the majority of our time. You spend 75% of your time in your offseason. So if you, if, if you're slacking there or um, maybe pulling back the reins a little bit and giving kids freedom, you know, they, it's suggested or recommended. If you start doing that, you, you, you're going to see the end real quick. Um, and I think that's where um, the, the haves and have-nots really um, start to separate themselves is the quality of strength and conditioning in their programs. You know, we, we tend to look at material items as haves and have-nots, stadiums, uniforms, um, you know, some of the other toys and software that programs have. But in my opinion, and, and just in, in, in my experiences, um, the, the, the top teams with strength and conditioning programs that are legit 
um, those guys are, are clearly the haves because that's where you see the development in players uh, um, um, speaking uh, specifically about football. Um, and I think that's what that's what's going to separate those guys. And and I would agree, but I but I'm I'm wondering, are we the are we the naive ones? Have we gone to a place where we're just thinking about how we grew up and the lessons that we learned from football? And, and the reason I ask that is, is this really is it really about the scholarship now? Like like we used to think it was about the life lessons and all of the things that we that we got out of football that didn't have to do with necessarily even being on the football field. But in today's climate, is it really more just about the scholarship or the opportunity um, for a scholarship? Because I see more, I see more elite level athletes posting blessed to receive an offer from <laughs> than I see posting videos of them working out. So, or videos of them, or pictures of them hanging out with their friends or their teammates. So are we the ones that are stuck and we maybe need to change our thought process or is it just something that we're going to have to fight with forever because we know that this is really the end game that we're supposed to be looking for? <laughs> uh, com very complex question. And, and I know you would love an easy yes or no answer, but uh, um, that that's where I think um, a coach being savvy in his approach Will will help him um, um, create a few more years of coaching opportunity for himself. I know for me, I might, I might be a little bit more blue collar and old school in, in some ways, but you're, you're absolutely right. Um, things have changed, and and if you if you can't recognize that, and you can't alter your, alter some things that you may think or evolve with the change, you, you're, you're really doing yourself a disservice. Um, this, this is a this is a social media look at me day and age, you know. And you can look at that very negatively and and always have a negative connotation when you talk about it. But the the thing is this: it's here and that's how it is. Period. So you can either fight that if you want, or you can use that to maybe help yourself and help your program. You know. Um, for example, you know, we, we try to we try to have a very marketable brand in the social media world. Um, you know, I jumped on board pretty early, and and I'm I'm not I'm not that old, so uh, I like to think that I'm, I'm semi savvy when it comes to social media. But you know, we we use social media to um, you know to uh, show off what we do, whether it's academics, whether it's what we do in the weight room, whether it's what my kids do in the off season, whether it's um, you know, recruitment or, or anything like that that shed, you know, positive light on, on these kids in the program will do it. Um, I think there has to be a, a balance where, you know, it's, it's not always about them, but it can be sometimes. Um, and I know, I know that's what we do, um, at East Bay is, is try to find that balance. And it is a very delicate line because at the end of the day, you know, parents are very biased and I don't blame them. I'm not mad at them. That's just, They've got, they've got, you know, uh, um, rose-colored glasses. They're, they're looking at it. Um, you know, I just want to know what's best for my son. That's it. You know, hey, I love your program. You're a great dude, but I'm worried about my son. I'm not worried about the other 90 that are there. So I think, you know, being able to play both sides, you know, look out for the kid as well as, um, you know, continue to promote team and, and, and all those other 
um, um, characteristics. I think I think you can do it, but it does take work. And I hear you, Coach. And, and again, we're talking to Frank LaRosa, East Bay um, High School head coach. Um, you can find him at Twitter, um, on Twitter at EB underscore Coach Lowe. You'll see a lot of the stuff that he talks about. And um, I can attest he was he was one of the first, um, one of the first, you know, Hillsborough County coaches that really went all in on social media. I was in I was in the game super early. That's why I've got my my actual full name as an act because I was I was in there back before people even really understood what Twitter was being used for. Um, I started using it in my classroom. I think it's a great tool. Um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook to a lesser extent because of the just how open Facebook is. But some of these more streamlined um, social media platforms I think is, is great for boosting, you know, boosting your, your profile at a school. And, and that brings me into another, another thing, especially not just in Florida, but in football now, high school football. It's an, it's an arms race. It's a, it's a how do I get kids? And I've classified schools into three categories. I classify schools into, um, lifer programs. Those are programs that have an ability to take a kid from from the time that they hit middle school or ninth grade, develop that kid and send that kid out. Um, those programs usually keep those kids, they, they're homegrown talent, blah, blah, blah. Then you have the then you have the feeder system schools. Those are schools who get kids, they they are there's talent that's identified at their school, but for whatever reason, people who don't feel like the kid is being developed enough or getting enough exposure, those schools end up losing those kids to other schools. And then I, I, I call them the cherry picker schools. Those are the ones who have a name, they have a brand, and they essentially every year take the talent that they have and then they pick talent from other schools or kids from other talent from other schools pick them and they're able to form these teams that are that are pretty hard to um tough to compete with. I, I look at East Bay as one of those homegrown schools, one of those schools where you can get a kid and you, you develop the kid and you may not hear about that kid until their junior year, but when that, that kid hits the you know, hits the system and, and they get online they're ready to go. They understand the game. But I've also seen over the last few years that you've been able to take advantage of some kids that have come, have come over to you from other places. Do you think that that's just the way it has to be now, where it has to be a good mixture of you developing your kids and maybe getting lucky with a, a few talents that didn't, need to, didn't pan out at another school or just looking for what you have to offer? I think I think a big part of that is, you know, first I think you need to have a solid foundation. You, you, you're, every school, every school, gains and loses. To what degree? That's that's where the the system and school and program itself that kind of determines that. Um, so without naming names, you're always going to have a few schools that just seem to always get the studs, you know, and then you're always going to have those schools that lose 
any little bit of talent that they might have and struggle to compete on Fridays. Hey, hey Coach, um, Coach, I don't mean to cut you off, but and it's all right because I know that you're right in the thick of it, um, but I'm not. So I, I, I'll name names for you. If, you if it makes you feel better, I'll name the name because I really think it's important that listeners hear, like, this is what's going on, you know, and this, these are the type of programs and, and I'm not saying they're doing anything wrong. Like, I'll give you the example of Armwood. I don't think Armwood's necessarily doing something awful because kids want to go to Armwood, but I do think it's very interesting that kids leave and go to, like, premier Division One universities from Armwood, and then you don't hear as much from them once they're in, once they're in college or moving on to the NFL, and yet, you still see several programs producing talent that that all of a sudden end up in, you know, the NFL who may not have the same brand recognition that Armwood has. And that's just one example out of you know out of a lot. But yeah, definitely this offensive interference coach, you, we, we can be we can be one hundred around here. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, you you actually have experience with one school that produces NFL talent that people don't talk about, and that's Wharton. I mean, look at Auden Tate. Look at Vernon Harbridge. I mean, they, those guys are in the NFL. Kid, kids in the area grow up and, and follow those guys on social media and want to be like those guys. But, you know, how many kids truly go, man, I can't wait to, to go to work? Um, you know, that's, that's just the reality of it. Yeah, and that doesn't, that doesn't include the talent that Wharton's lost. Um, that have, that have, you know, gone on to do really good things and, and possibly have opportunities to, um, you know, go on to the league from there. I think of some 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 kids, and there have been some there have been some talents that have that that started at Wharton, didn't finish at Wharton, and and either are in a position to achieve or um, are already achieving from that level. Do you look at? Has there been any kids that you've had in your time at East Bay that you really like regretted losing because you? You, you thought that maybe they – I won't say that they necessarily, like, chased anything, but just maybe they didn't see the they didn't see that finish line that you had in place for them? When, when I was an assistant, it, it was it was frequently. Um, and then once, once I became the head coach in, in 2011, um, you know, my quarterback my first year, Taji Fullwood, ended up going to Tampa Bay Tech. Um, halfway through sophomore year, and ended up going to USF to be a Division One defensive back. Um, but but other than that, I, you know, we 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 pride ourselves on what we do as a program, and you know, we've been very fortunate that when once kids start in the program, I think they get a feel, and this takes time. This, this doesn't happen overnight, but I think they get a feel for we're, we're being cared for and we're being looked out for. You know, and and those kids have the dream of playing college football, and early on the resume wasn't strong enough to be able to say, hey, look, this is what we've done. Just just chill and wait and wait your turn. But, you know, the last seven years, you know, we've got a 100% graduation rate. We've got uh, um, over 50 kids that have gone on to play college football, 12 at the Division One level in seven years, in Under Armour All-American, in OD All-American, kids that are starting in the Big Ten and the ACC. So, so now that the resume is – they're starting to get a, a little bit ahead of itself. It's like, hey, look, just wait your turn, bud, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and the kids can see it and, and are trusting it more. 
Um, you know, we we don't we don't lose kids now. I think for 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 that as well as going back to and I, I can't say it enough though. You know, and you said it earlier, the development. Um, you know, we'll, we'll take the 140 pound freshman and put him through our strength conditioning program, and he'll be 190 as a senior, skill kid with speed. Um, you know, we, we take a lot of pride in the strength conditioning program and the overall development of our players. So I think the kids also see and know that because when they know kids, when they know each other uh, through middle school as being skinny or this or that, and then all of a sudden four years later, going back to the, the, the uh, tweets like, hey, hashtag blessed by 38 offer, they're like, wow, I remember when he was – you know, this, this, and that in middle school, now look at him. So, so you know, the biggest advocates for your program are going to be your kids and parents. And that's where, you know, the schools that continuously get kids, well, they're the ones that, they're, you know, they're, they're winning because of talent as well. But if they're placing kids in college and going back to what we were talking about earlier with what is the goal and why are you playing, well, kids, kids want to play in college. Parents want their kids to go to college and play in college. So if you can do that, if you can place kids at the next level, then you're probably going to be pretty successful keeping kids, again, because of perception, and maybe gaining some from maybe somewhere else that uh, is, is, is maybe not doing that at the rate you're doing it, you know. So we've, we've been very lucky. Uh, you know, we're, we're working hard to, to be able to do all of that, to try to handle all of that. And and I remember um I remember forward I was I was actually over um coaching um defense and special teams um at, at Tampa Bay Tech his senior year um when he was there and I remember thinking to myself at the time like man if this kid has ever had an opportunity to really develop skills at one position um and I think that's what a lot of these kids don't think about when they bounce around. It's like um, you go from one place, you're playing one position, then you go to another place, you're playing a different position, and you don't really get an opportunity to develop the same way that you do. Um, if you if you kind of locked in that, man, I'm going to be this kind of dude, it, it would have been fantastic to see what he would have been able to do for you guys as a senior you know, four years in your program, where whereas he was, I, don't, I won't say it like a mercenary, but I just don't think he ever, I don't think he ever really truly developed into a position, and that's why in college it took him a couple years to really, you know, get get that grasp at defensive back, and and mm-hmm. and while he's got, while he had tremendous skills um, as a defensive back and as a as a as a kit returner, I think that's the difference between a pro and somebody who has skills enough to be a pro. Um, and, and, and so with that, I, I wanted to finish up and just talk real quick about the the mental the mental aspect of the game because I know you you take a lot of pride in in, in everyone at East Bay takes a lot of pride in um, the 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 physical development. I, while I think physical development is important, I really take a lot of pride in kids understanding the game of football. I think that your mind is something that can build infinitely faster than your body can. And so, like, I may, you may have a 140-pound guy that gets to 190. I might have a 140-pound kid that gets to 180 or 175 but is extremely knowledgeable of the game. So how do you balance that? 
with, you know, hey, we want to make sure this kid's physically fit. The, we want to make sure that this kid understands how to play within a system um, that's going to make him successful where we are. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, the position meetings and just, just, you know, we, we treat every kid like a blank piece of paper. I mean, if, if you saw how, how basic we start off, spring and, 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 and fall ball, you'd be like, are you kidding me? Um, because it, it is so important to, number one, speak the same language with the kids. Um, if, if you're talking football and they're just kind of looking at you, you, you slow down whatever athletic ability they've got. And, and that's you actually don't want to do that. You know, you, you want these guys to be able to perform optimally. So so just, just being able to speak the same language and have a foundation of X's and O's is, is huge. Um, uh, my, you know, my staff has been, we've been together, uh, uh, for a while. A lot of us cut our teeth under, under a previous head coach when we were assistants and I've, I've had a chance to bring on some, some great additions. Um, but, but teaching the game of football is, is huge. Um, you know, we, we've seen in, in, in our time, uh, with me at, at, as football coach, you know, we've won some games because of some, some things that we've been able to see and adjust and, and, and more importantly, our kids. Where able to see, adjust, and, and go with right there on the football field. Um, now, the mental side of it is, is, is absolutely huge. I, I couldn't agree anymore. Coach, I really appreciate it. I know that I told you I was going to hold you for a little bit. We, we can sit here and talk all day about football, so I really do appreciate it. Um, I'm going to get you out, on this, out of here on this because I just, I just thought about it. How do we, how do we help to bridge that gap and that compensation that we see is lacking for coaches, um, especially in – and you know what? I won't even go through the entire state. You're in Hillsborough County. I know that in Hillsborough County the compensation is minimal. Um, how do we begin to bridge that gap? Is it something that can be bridged, or is it just that we have to have a mindset change on what we're expecting from our coaches um, in these areas, when when they talk budget every year, it's it's pretty pretty grim. It it it, it, it never seems positive. Um, I, I always say I always say that if if I had an opportunity to bring two paid positions on staff that were non uh, non position coaches, I would bring a strength conditioning coach to ease that burden a little bit on us and an academic advisor. You spend so much time doing your off-season workouts and all of the work that goes into the grades and scheduling and testing and, and, and 504 plans and just all the things that it takes to be uh, successful academically for your kids. It When you look at it, you're like, wow, I've spent 10 minutes of my week doing X's and O's and the rest of my time trying to get better in the off-season or trying to get kids in the right classes for the NCAA or graduation, whatever it may be. Um, I, I don't, I'm not very optimistic, to be honest with you. Um, you know, going back to my old school roots, I'm just, I'm just here to outwork and outlast everybody and, and, and we'll see what happens. But, uh, um, you know, a strength coach and, and an academic advisor, um, I know for us, if, if, if that burden could be taken off of our shoulders would be, would be tremendous. Coach, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you later. That's Coach, that's Coach Frank LaRosa from East Bay High School. Um, again, you can follow him on, e, at, on Twitter at 
um, EB underscore Coach Lowe. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And and don't forget, um, East Bay High School is also the the where where the 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 genesis of three phase football happened. So make sure that you're following um, at three phase football as well. They do. Um, I know Coach um, Coach Tony does a great job um, with that with that you know with that site and with with everything and trying to make sure that that this art form isn't being lost because it really is an art form, um, and it, it's something that. Your your every coach can learn and every coach can implement if they're willing to be disciplined. And, and you want to teach a disciplined, structured offense. That's the type of offense that you can always implement if you have a disciplined and structured team. So I appreciate you again, Coach. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. All right. Once again, tremendous thank you to Coach Frank LaRosa from East Bay High School for joining us tonight. You can follow him on Twitter at EB underscore Coach Low. Again, I'm Gene Clemens for this podcast. I just want to leave you with one thought process. Um, the state of Florida should be ashamed of themselves. Um, the way that they are treating their teachers and the way that they treat their coaches, they are essentially pimping coaches down here in, well, down there in the state of Florida. Um, they got these tremendous talents as coaches who are dedicated to their craft. They're invested in their teams year long. And they're paying them just enough to be able to wet their beak with. Not even enough to be able to pay significant bills with. It's 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 a shame. And it goes to show why, A, the education system is so terrible in the state of Florida. But it also goes to show why coaches at a much more alarming rate are leaving. And they're no longer being shamed by the fact that people might say, Oh, well, you couldn't take the pressure of Florida or you couldn't survive in Florida. The truth is, is every year you're going to have certain teams that are somewhere close to competing for a state championship. There are haves and have nots in the state of Florida. Those haves and have nots only change if a school is willing to commit major amounts of money to the upgrade of their um, football programs facilities um, the opportunities for professional development and for developing kids and taking them on the road, or if they're able to pay coaches more. If they don't do that, you'll see the same old names pop up in the playoffs every year um, and go deep and make deep runs in the playoffs. And then in Hillsborough County's case, most of the time, they'll end up getting beat by a Miami team because Miami does tend to pour more effort into their football programs financially, at least the top ones, than do Hillsborough County. So I look at that and I'm just like, man, I really wish these coaches would get together in a in a show of unity, a show of solidarity to make suggestions on what should be done. And for that, I always like to leave with at least making sure I give a suggestion and not just raise a point that there's a problem. So for me, here's some things that could be done. Number one, you can make all head coaches 12-month employees. If you give them, because these head coaches have to be in the school as teachers, in a lot of other states, Georgia I know does it, um, Louisiana I believe does it as well in some other states, even in the state of Florida there are some places that will make a coach an 11-month employee. Make them a 10-month, a 12-month employee. 
give them two extra months of their regular salary. Now, in most cases, you've bumped them up to the equivalent of what would be a five-figure stipend for a head coach. Now you're talking about something that's more realistic to what you should be offering a guy doing so much work. And even then, even then, you're still talking about pennies on the hour. But at least that would be a start to show that we cared about our coaches in the state of Florida. Assistant coaches should get higher stipends. They should also either get become 11-month employees or they should get one of their classes taken away. How much better would it be? And, and this one I have to give credit to um, Coach Canner for. If you could alleviate some of those classes from them where they don't have to worry about a full schedule, they can get a lot more done. Um, so shout out to Coach Canner at um, at, at Wesley, not sorry, not Wesley Chapel. Oh my God, don't Wiregrass Ranch High School. Um, down in um down in Pasco County. I apologize, Coach Canner. Um, that was a suggestion that he made that he thought in, and you'll have to listen for Coach Canner another time. I have a really good conversation with him, and I'm gonna um make sure that that gets out there later on. But just some things that will help to alleviate the stress and the strain financially on a coach who's asked to do so much and be such an integral part in these young men's lives. I think if you do that, a you'll make the, the competitiveness for college. I mean, for high school coaching, go back up. You'll have more guys wanting to um, pursue that, pursue that realm. You'll have guys fighting harder to keep their jobs. They'll be working harder. They'll be reinvigorated because they know you care. You'll see, the products get better overall, and maybe we can get a little bit more parity in the state of Florida than we have right now. Footballgameplan.com and the Offensive Interference Podcast. I'm Gene Clemens. You can find me at Gene Clemens on all social media platforms. Y'all have a wonderful afternoon.